Welcome. Hope you're well. Got a little bit of a <clears throat> small, small cold. So I wouldn't say it's um, full on anything, and it's not the dreaded, it's not the dreaded C. So that's fine. But um, yeah, just kind of yesterday, uh, first week back teaching. Um, at uh, Leeds, the Leeds Conservatoire where I work and uh, yes inevitably one picks up something so um, yeah kind of woke up yesterday Saturday and felt just kind of like mm. and then uh, actually felt worse yesterday than I feel today so uh, so it's good but yeah my voice is a little bit croaky um, that's um, that's why but I thought I'm going to persist persist anyway so because um, it's that time of month again the beginning of the month first Sunday of the month try and get um, get something recorded get the podcast out and I was thinking this week because obviously back teaching um, I was just thinking about what to ramble on about for an hour or so and uh and then it kind of occurred to me that I'd been looking at um, single strokes quite a bit. And I had a couple of students that were asking me in this last week about single stroke playing. And uh, I'm, I would say I'm not one of the strongest single stroke players because anybody that knows who's listened to the, the, the vast majority of these podcasts will know that I'm someone who is of the double stroke persuasion so to speak and um, I yeah I was kind of trying to give some exercises some help this week to a couple of students that were that were sort of saying that their single strokes felt you know weak and it wasn't something they felt like they'd uh, they were kind of on top of and um there's this regime that I teach, which I've been teaching for a long time, and it seems to help people. Like, really helped me. Um, this rebound thing, and it's a very slow, boring, as a lot of these things are, to be frank, you know. Um, but this is really boring, and it's it's one of those things that takes a while to kind of um, see the benefits of. But uh, and you've got to practice it exactly as described on the tin. Right. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that today, but I'd ended up on this kind of this kind of little circular thing of um, the single stroke thing had led me this week in my own practice time I spent some time on Wednesday and Thursday I, I, I had quite a few gigs this week quite a busy week and I had a last minute gig last Saturday I had a gig on Friday and then Sunday I had uh, something on and then Monday I had a gig Tuesday I had a gig Wednesday day off Thursday I had a gig Friday I had a gig um uh, so no sorry friday was something at work but it was just uh, it was a uh, you know one of our nights we have on on a friday uh b-side night so it was a busy very busy week anyway um but i was determined during the week in in the days i was working at home at some point during those kind of days was to do some just to get on the pad and do some quite long sessions um uh, looking at some um, just some hand stuff because i've really felt like my hand technique is 
he's not really on the ball at the moment. It's you know it's felt kind of um, kind of just dipped again, a little bit of a dip. It was feeling strong and it's just kind of dipped again. Um, but some of it's also not been on, not been 100% on it with the nervous system, uh, kind of a little bit, kind of just a bit hesitating when I'm playing, just a little bit of brain kind of in the way. Um, and that's just because um, I'm not kind of, you know, again, not 100%. Not been gigging a lot in the last uh, five or six weeks. It's been quite quiet. Um, and work's been very busy, so the brain's been kind of preoccupied you know with um with stuff that's not got really got much to do with you know playing music and what have you um but yeah and then this last week i've had a few gigs and they've been nice gigs and it's been good and i was i felt like i kind of got into a bit of a rhythm in my head especially because i had this the couple of gigs I did over the weekend were um were kind of old school gigs um for me i was like a bit of a return to some things i used to do like like year like 12 13 years ago and it was quite nice um and i felt like a i was just out in the car and loading you know loading the loading thing and just kind of hustling for parking and then getting back and doing a gig and it was a really nice gig and and then sort of you know going doing it's just that kind of gigging life thing the gigging life if if you search my podcast i did one about that a long long time ago a couple of years ago i think it's a couple of years ago now um i think we're nearly you know into three years of this nonsense actually um thinking about it because i started it it's october of um october of 19 yeah yes it's october 22 now um anyway this isn't supposed to be some sort of you know whatever um, i just suddenly realized then it's nearly three years and i think it i think it was some in during the october of 19 when i started this might be a bit later but this is i think we're on the third of october today what day what date are we sunday the second sorry second of october so um anyway blah 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 um I, it was nice to sort of get that feeling again back of sort of gigging and, and, and being out and about. And um, the autumn, actually, because it's, you know, it's October now and we're into autumn. I, I definitely, um, in my head, September, October, November are, are autumn. But really, I, I, it feels autumn feels to me in the UK, just like September and October only. And then once you get the clocks back in october end of october you're into that miserable november december january february um and kind of half of march really like the long slog of four and a half months of you know just being like the so anyway it always feels like a quite an exciting time of year musically um because there's things going on you know uh, that all the teaching kicks off again so there's this big push again you, you know it's like it always feels the beginning of the year uh, you get the first week out of the way that's one or twenty and um, it feels like you know a big like a big uh, kind of moment when things kind of kick off again and like the brain really focuses back in on that kind of um way of sort of sharing information and 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 also meeting new students meeting some students i've I've taught before um but when i was when i was at home after this kind of 
in a couple of days I did Monday, Tuesday long days. I had, I had gigs on both days as well, and and then um, and then uh, I was kind of here Wednesday, Thursday, and I was I had lots to, lot to do. But in the, a couple of gaps in the day, and then like later in the day, I was I was on to the pad and doing some stuff. I kind of got back to. Um, the single stroke thing I was suddenly thinking about vocabulary or, or exercises that I already have that um, that would help with the single stroke thing uh, and I've got this book called Dexterity by Mitchell Peters some nice exercises in there but then I remembered Ted Reed and I was thinking about syncopation in the book and um, I just was like oh yeah actually because I have so much of the like lessons one or exercise one, whatever they're called, on, on page 37. Because um, I've got so much of that stuff memorised. Um, they're called exercise one. Yeah, it's, with the actual syncopation sets are a, a 34 and it's actually on page 38 is the... Um, is the uh, is the exercise one? I think some people. I think there's an older edition where they're on page thirty-seven, but um, the edition I have, they're on page thirty-eight. So there must be uh, must be an extra page somewhere going on. Something must have been shifted. Um, but these are kind of. I just wanted to like talk a bit about this resource today, um, and. Just a little bit of um, my personal history with it and a little bit of the history with it about when it was written. Because it was basically, he published this in 1958. So if you're looking at the, the the great tradition of some of the, some of this kind of, you know, common jazz drum lineage or rudimental snare drum lineage, a lot of people cite Lawrence Stone, Wilcoxon, and read, you know, just as and Chapin as well, but Chapin's a slightly different thing, and, it, and the Chapin thing connects to Ted actually more than more than the others, um, because it's because it's that coordination uh, comping thing, you know. Um, I've said this many times, and it's controversial, but I, I I've got the book, the um, the Chapin book, and I've never connected with that book. Uh, I just don't connect with it. Um, and there's lots of reasons why I'm not going to go into why now. No one's interested anyway. But it's uh, just to say, you know, some people love that book and they use it for teaching and all that. And that's mega. I've never, never connected with it. It's just, um, you know, and a part of it's actually to do with, you know, what you're doing at the time and having the time to connect with things. You know, we, we, we I've got piles of books different books that's one of them which i've never really used but when i look at it and i go into like the system of what the way it's kind of well i think well i'm doing this i'm doing a very similar thing with a different system and ted reed's connected to that and actually you know um i prefer the um i prefer to use this thing of 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 singular or 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 or, or, or very few resources and using for very many things, you know, I kind of prefer that way of working because I think it's like, I think I like the filter. I like the way you have to filter when you when you read Ted Reed, 
when you're kind of you know when you when you're looking at the Ted Reed the way it's written for a lot of the exercises that I practice it's not written in the way it's played um in fact as we'll discuss today it's very rarely written in the way it's played because it's such a great resource of the way it's interpreted you know um and and I I feel like I you know I touch I scratch the surface of Ted Reed and um, and so this podcast, I just wanted to, because it's such an important part of things that I practice and things that I've taught and still teach, I just wanted to kind of uh, have a little bit of a ramble about it for an hour or so. And uh, so it's like a, like a line in the sand about it. Um, and any of you out there listening, uh, if you indeed are, would obviously have um maybe had similar experiences maybe have maybe have no experience and maybe it would be would be a new experience for you also but also have and had other experiences is what i'm trying to say because that's what's more interesting than the other two things well actually if you've never if you've never worked on ted reed before then um actually it might be a really this might be a really interesting episode for you because it might get you into kind of this concept so a drink, quick drink of water I've got this nice little water carrier thing yeah. borrowed from cambridge folk festival massive apologies to cambridge folk festival it's one of those things where they provided these lovely uh water things for the gigs i did a gig there in july and uh and the all of the back stage staff that were helping us were very keen to say they were not gifts they were they were to be used and they were to be recycled and i was like okay that's fine absolutely fine so when we did our first gig on the first day um we had like you know a backstage thing and there's a load of these things in an ice bucket and all that stuff and went on stage did the set took my thing on came off was careful to put it back and that was fine the next day we did the kind of main stage gig with the with the kit and I was able to very luckily able to go and load on early on and uh, set the drums up. And a really nice drum tech guy called Nigel, a really helpful guy. I think I talked about him in one of the previous episodes recently. Anyway, um, when I was uh, when I came off, I had because I, I was using their entire kit apart from uh, I had a bag with me, a little bag which I brought with me, which had all my sticks and my beaters and other bits of things that I needed for the gig in it and uh and also some uh, the set list notes and things and when i was like on the stage and sort of as you are you know you're just you're getting on the stage and, and then i'd set all the drums up and and then they were, the whole riser was wheeled off while the, the first band was on and then my stuff was wheeled on and then i was like legging it on there getting ready everything was fine everything was put in place locked up all the kind of the riser was locked up and locked down so it wasn't rolling around and then we got everything sorted monitors sorted and everything and there was i had like a towel that they provided and this water thing and stuff and i had my bag and anyway i was just like everything was kind of chucked into the bag because it was all i just wanted all in one thing you know and i didn't have any symbols with me or anything so i normally have my sticks in my symbol case so the, the sticks were all in this thing this is the most boring story i'm trying to justify why i've stolen uh, borrowed stolen this water carrier thing uh, it ended up in the bag and when i came off stage uh i didn't look at the bag until i mean our set was half past two three o'clock half two or something and we were we were backstage all day and uh, it was a really nice day i was just basically drinking drinking beer most of the day and listening to some music and chatting i saw um 
couple of friends of mine, Stuart McCallum and uh, Rainer Connolly, they were doing the breath thing later on about eight o'clock. So I went to see them and watch their gig and then Stuart left. And, and when I came back after that, it was about quarter to ten, we were then going to cross load back to where we were staying. And so I just grabbed my bag. Everything was in my bag. It was all you know closed up and um, whatever. I had my other clothes and things that I had. Went back to the campsite put the thing in the boot of my car because um, I didn't need it and then when I got home unloaded all the crap and I found that I'd adopted the towel and I had the water carrier which still had water in it um, so yeah anyway that was when I was um, such a boring story but that was what I was just having a quick drink because I've still got this kind of slightly tickly throat so apologies uh, for the little gaps I normally pause the recorder um when i do when i have a drink or, or whatever if i have a cough or something but i'm not going to bother today because it'll probably be i'll be just pausing it too much and then sticking it all together at the end is a bit of a pain so anyway where were we up to we were up to this ted reed thing and about resource etc etc so what i wanted to talk about today was was simply about how I've used this book, you know, and um, and and just in that kind of lineage thing of those books, the, you know, the, the fact that this was, I mean, if you if I'm reading the um, if I'm reading the notes here, he says I was careful to protect my original work from plagiarism until I received an official copyright from the Bureau of Copyrights in Washington D.C. I had it published in 1958, and the book has sold very well ever since. So. Obviously, you know, he was using these resources and what have you. Um, you know, before that, he probably had them, like I have certain things, he probably had them, you know, written out and, and bunched together in a little whatever, but finally he got it together to get this book published. And, you know, so um, it's kind of nice, you know, I think a lot of the time we don't read these, the, the kind of intro sections to these books. Um, and, uh, and the funny thing about Ted Reed's syncopation, I think maybe for a lot of people, is actually um, a lot of people don't use any of the book before page 34. You know, uh, and also they probably don't use much of the book beyond, well, they don't use any of the book beyond page 45. Uh, they might do, but it's such a great resource um i mean syncopation sets one's good but syncopation sets two if you're a jazz drummer this is where things really start to connect i, rem I remember talking to um the great um one of the former leeds college of music educators actually uh um and a great drummer and great arranger um Tony Faulkner uh, a long time ago um, I was just talking to him about um, the Ted Reed thing and, and he made this statement I think I may have made reference to this in a previous podcast just in passing and he said oh it's a yeah it's a great way to to practice your improvising isn't it you know and, and I'd never thought of it like that before um, and after that I've st I, I still think about what he means by that statement you know what does he actually mean by that statement? 
does he mean that it's uh, it's like a cognitive thing? Because I I kind of feel like it's the op- the opposite of that in some ways. I feel like the Ted Reed thing, when you get into playing these patterns, um, they actually kind of lock you into a sort of vocabulary that actually does it stop you improvising you know um or is it just that idea of because the this because there's a specific type of dexterity involved in playing those sorts of exercises that therefore that kind of um that skill and that that connection uh to the to the you know to your hands to the drums and and those stickings and the accents and the way of playing it and all those different ways of using these exercises you know it it really does give you um great flexibility essentially and 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 agility and obviously they're they're the things that that people really they're, they're the things i most crave if i if i want to be a good in the moment player and, and be improvising and be flex, you know, and be reactive and, and, and also be proactive in the music and be in control, not lose control, but stay in control. Then that's the, you know, I want to have, that's the vibe I want, want going on. So, um, but it was really interesting that he saw it in that way. And, and it's always made me keep a very active uh, way of thinking about these exercises alive in my head if that makes any sense you know because I think sometimes we can I mean the great thing about Ted Reed is there's sort of two dimensions to that one is what I'm saying is I'm constantly like questioning and I'm constantly like have a kind of fluid view of what the exercises are but also on the other arm of it there's so many different ways you can use these exercises and and as i you know as i get older and and talk to more people and do maybe a bit of research or whatever you find more and more ways of doing these exercises so there's this constant kind of um you know this kind of there's a constant fluidity with in relation to that and maybe that was what he was talking about it's because it because there's so many different ways of using the same um materials your 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 brain is constantly exploring ways in which one can you know utilize this uh, and get a lot of mileage out of out of one page and of course i think i've talked about this before um i had i had a I had a long conversation when I first met John Riley. I think 2014, I think it was, or two, I can't remember the dates actually. But when I first met him, um, I, I had a couple of lessons with him, and then I, I also interviewed him. We talked about Ted Reed, and and he also talked about it a lot in a workshop, uh, which I recorded and I've gone back to many times. And uh, and the thing that he talked about in that which i've mentioned before and it's just it's just to kind of you know to kind of go back over that again because having all the information in one place sometimes that's useful is that the history of of these books was that you know there would be families uh who were probably you know from backgrounds that weren't particularly wealthy um and they'd go and study with a teacher and you know the the, the money that money was you know it was money invested in their child uh, that was probably you know money that they didn't didn't really have 
that much spare cash going on, you know. Um, and if you think about it, that time in you know in the late fifties and sixties or whatever, and um, the it, it's all about this great tradition of buying one book and getting a great many things from one book uh, and not needing lots of books. And so this goes back to the thing about you know, the Jim Chapin book um, and uh, and the Ted Reed thing. For me, Ted Reed is the way in which I get all that stuff. Other people would have bought Chapin's book and 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 and, and just use that, you know. Uh, when I grew up, I, I I had a snare drum book which I can't remember the um, I can't remember the name of now. I've been trying for years. Uh, but it was a it was a classical snare drum. But that was my first book, proper book, and I learned to read snare drum music from that book. But then it was the the modern rudimental swing solos book was the big one, you know, um, which I've done a whole episode about all these books. Um, and then um, I got stick control, dexterity. Mitchell Peters was the was the next really important book to me, I think. And then uh, the Siegfried Fink. Um, these snare drum, um, it's classical snare drum books. They, uh, I had all those: the roll, the drag, the flam. I had about four or five of them, and they all had snare drum kind of sonatas in them and stuff. Quite complex things, and I was kind of into that stuff because I was like into, you know, I wanted to be a good snare drum player, and it felt important to me to be a good snare drum player. And that made that help me with my drum kit playing, you know. But um, the Ted Reed thing came later, much later, um, and was a really great addition for me to my learning, you know. And so let's talk a little bit. Um, well, I'll talk. You're listening, obviously, because this is not an interactive vibe, sadly. Um, let's talk about, let me talk about this thing of what goes on. Page 34. So, page 34, you have these exercises which are written, they're called Syncopation Sets 2. And they're all written as quavers and crotchets. They're all in 4-4 time. Um, and for me, they're, you know, they, they, they feel like they're written in common time, but it's, it's always this thing of uh, the, the tempo where... Crotches and quavers feel like quavers and semi-quavers. Uh, but these are actually all interpreted a lot of the time, but not always, in triplet quavers. So the um, the first one, if you've got a pulse going one and two and three and four, and it goes one and two and three, four, one and two and three, four, one and two and three, four, one and two and three, four. That's syncopation sets to number one. Da 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 da. So the common thing that all of you know, probably listening to this, most of you, maybe some of you don't, but if you don't, then and if you do, you're you know I'm preaching to the choir and we've heard it all before. Is you tripletize that phrase? So instead of it being we swing it. So the next thing that we can do with that is um, we can play it as a comping exercise. We can play swing time 
on the ride symbol which I don't have in front of me I've just got a practice pad but you can okay so you're playing that thing with your left hand it's not complicated uh, but it's good for coordination and 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 there's 48 of these and they go through all different quaver and crotchet combinations in the bar of 4-4 four, four. Uh, and there's some with one and two and three and four you know four quavers together some with six quavers together ba ba do da di da do di da di da di da da di da di da di da etc etc all kind of pretty obvious the next thing you can do is a lot when i'm teaching especially first years and, and and students are quite new to jazz and they're getting into that kind of bebop sort of swing and bebop drumming um is i i get them to this thing where we i do a thing called comp mimic comp mimicking so you'll comp a phrase ba 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 and then i'll say to them tripletize that phrase on the snare drum by playing that um pattern swung and fill in the gaps with single strokes so you're playing everything right left right left right left right left and we're playing triplet quaver so it's right left right left right left uh, and you can play left right left right left right by the way starting on the other hand it's perfectly fine um so that phrase goes from being d da do da da to da da do da 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 do da da so i'm just tripletizing the same phrase and playing um playing these triplet quavers and i get people to think about there's two volumes there there's the kind of mezzo piano volume and there's what i call them the normal sound so instead of accented sound it's quite nice to just have that uh, differentiation there um, to think about like a mezzo forte sound being a normal if you just sort of hit the drum just let the stick drop and control that drop then actually kind of what i'd say ends up sounding a mezzo forte ish on the you know everyone's everyone's got their own character in those dynamics which is important you know so and then there's like accented you know and you've got sport sando and different types of accents and uh, blah 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 you know don't get, get into that too much but what i'm getting people to try and concentrate on is if they're playing swing i'm trying to get them to comp at a what i'd say is a mezzo piano sound on the snare drum and I'm getting them to play the pattern with a mezzo forte with with the um, with the syncopation um, rhythm, and the in between triplet strokes at mezzo piano. It's just a way of practicing voicing, voice leveling on the on the drums. That's a really important part of of learning the drums is about that kind of thing of leveling the voicing in any style of music. But it's something particularly um, a lot of jazz drummers spend a lot of time. 
working on that stuff because it's about kind of their about their sound you know because um, because a lot of the time there's a, there's, a, there's you know there's a lot of acoustic kind of quality to um to this music we a lot of the gigs i play i play acoustically if you're if you're a if you're a touring kind of rock drummer most of the time you're spending um you're spending your life amplified and playing in big through big systems probably a lot of the time or with with some kind of micing uh and and you're being kind of con the, the the sound of what you're playing is in some way being controlled by somebody else um, not not entirely but uh, some of it is but you know what's what you know if any of you are uh, are playing in those situations a lot and you and you've got your own you will have your own personal sound and balance together your sound engineer will often say to you it's you're so easy to work with because you've got this internal sound already all i have to do is like you know turn things up to this level and everything's self-balanced because you've got that self-balance built into the way that you play the instrument as it is and that's just a really important part of playing the drums full stop but when you're playing acoustically it's 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 more important because nobody else is in control of that whereas if you're playing like through big systems depending on what sort of music you're playing the engineer may have or or the artist you're playing for may have a thing they want to happen with the bass drum sound you know um some engineers are a nightmare that you don't you know, if you're playing like a festival gig and it's an engineer you don't know, and then you're playing music that's really dynamic, I I do a lot of the time. I had a thing this summer where I was playing, and this guy had a gate on my bass drum, you know. And I, when I was playing all the the really quiet stuff in the music, there was no sound coming out of the front of the house. I could hear the gate opening when I played. That what I would say was mezzo forte, and that dynamic was too loud in the quiet bits of the music if i'd have played like the bass drum at that level in that in those quiet passages it would have just been really loud but when i was playing quieter there was nothing coming through the pa so there's no bass drum at all in the sound it was like a nightmare you know and it's just because this guy he just hadn't listened <clears throat> to 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 us when we were sound checking properly he hadn't changed the setting there's not a lot you can do about that. But if you're working with a front of house all the time, I've worked with a couple of really great engineers. I, I was lucky to see one this week. I wasn't playing with him, but I got to see him. He was front of house and somebody I've worked with. And, and he's a great engineer. And he's got that sensibility. You know, He's asking me when we were sound checking, when we were doing a long tour together, we were constantly in the room. He was saying, just what's the, what's the quiet dynamic? Because he wanted a gate on the bass drum for the very for when it when i wasn't playing it essentially so there was no there was no sound coming down the mic you know and then he was basically um when when i was playing really quietly it was the gate was opening so i think he, he had it set at like you know, minus like minus 40 or something db but it was just closed at the other time in in the music you know and a lot of it's about what kind of bass drum beat you're using and how you've got the bass drum set up blah 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 but anyway it's a self-leveling conversation but the ted reed thing back to that stay on topic dave um is just about this idea of you know what is the what is the kind of what or is it but the inner sound you have that. 
And then the next thing that we do is those single strokes become double strokes. Within the triplet, so it's like a five stroke roll and a three stroke roll kind of based exercise. Um, and the logic follows through. And then you put those accents, you put the, the, the right hand accent onto the floor tom or onto a ride cymbal, and the left hand accent onto a high tom or a hi hat or something. Depends on what your kit configuration is. That helps you practice movement. Now you see already, even with this one syncopation set two, number one, you've already got like these four exercises that are dealing with quite a lot of information and they're all connected to each other. They're all part of a way of playing the drums, which is about finding your sound and staying in control of it. That's the fundamental thing. Um, the next thing you can have a flam. You know, you've got that option. Um, it's interesting when you're playing swing time. You can think about them as flams if you want, if that makes sense. If it doesn't, have a think about it. I'm not going to explain it. You'll get it. But um, you can flam the strokes that are together. So if you're thinking about flam vocabulary, you can turn the exercise into like a flam thing. You've got some things that are with the right or left hand independently of each other, or when it's together, it's a flam. So you can write that as a flam exercise. So there are a lot of the common ways that jazz drummers use Ted Reed. But there's also some other really fascinating ways that I, uh, I've, and there's a few other ones that I have practiced a lot. But if you stay with the swing thing, um, what you start to do then is you say, okay, I'm going to play the, um, I'm not going to be able to demonstrate because so I don't have a setup, but I'm going to play the, the, that pattern, da, da, do da, da. I'm going to play it in the right foot whilst playing swing time. And then you say, oh, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to fill the gaps in. So now I'm playing the right foot and I'm filling the gaps in with my left hand whilst playing swing time and high out on two and four. The next thing I'm going to do is reverse that. So I'm going to go back. Hope you can hear that. I'm just hitting the bass drum. I'm just hitting my foot against the carpet. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so now I'm, I'm, the, the, I'm, I'm filling the gaps in with the bass drum. I'm not filling them in with the um not filling them in with uh, with the other hand you know so to speak so that's a really good and you play time when you do that with the right symbol uh, they're really really good those two because if you're listening to certain players like tony williams he studied this thing under alan dawson you know he, when you hear tony's comping you can hear that he was practicing up-tempo versions of these syncopation sets sort of things. And when he's playing like ding, digga, ding, digga, ding, digga, ding, straight quavers, and you've got da 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 you know, Tony will have been playing digga, digga, get, get, digga, digga, get, get, digga, digga, get, get. So he's playing the bass drum in the gaps or the other way around. But if you're playing time, ting ticker ting, straight quaver, 
that kind of thing so you're getting in now into a thing where actually ted reed can be used in in straight music you know um but they're, they're really good and then and then of course you can do all the same things with the hi-hat you know so you know that you 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 can play the hi-hat playing the da da do da 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 so you can be you can hear that sorry i'm just going to try and find a better position to play that i've got the microphone stands in the way you hear that so um again playing time and feathering the bass drum at the same time as doing that is hard you know um so there's like a load of different ways in the swing thing but when we get into the straight thing um one of the exercises i was practicing this week which was really interesting i'd never really thought about it before um and um as a hand-to-hand -hand thing he's like half timing all of these syncopation sets so if you're taking this this one that's da da do da da is then to play semi quavers or even hemi demi semi hemi hemi semi hemi demi semi quavers or, or demi semi quavers um One and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a three and a four and a ticka 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 ticka. So then you take this. Kind of obvious, right? A really great way with the problem with that exercise, this is why I always shied away from these sorts of exercises, is it's just all right, 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 right. And I, I don't like exercises like that because it, they feel. They feel really unequal, you know. They feel like they're they're not dealing with the left hand. But you can add a simple thing, which probably many of you are screaming at me down the down the down the thing. Probably not. Um, you can add a simple thing into that to create great to create equality, and that's put a paradiddle at the end of it. So put a double stroke at the end of it, and then it reverses it to the other hand. So you get this thing and slowly it's like paradiddle. Paradiddle. Oh, it's like a triple paradiddle really because it's obviously you get you know, uh, six sets of single strokes and a double stroke. But if you go to, if you go to like, um, exercise one and then you you can do a thing where you can go oh actually i can do a whole line of right and then i can put the power to the double stroke at the end and then i can go to my left hand on the second line or i can do two bars at a time you know or you can do one bar at a time but it's a really great uh exercise for dexterity just based on that simple thing of adding that double stroke in and and what's really interesting is because you're now dealing in in demi semi quavers, um, the because this is all written as crotches and quavers, there's always 
when a quaver's on an and stroke, when it's on the four and, you've still got four demi semiquavers to go then. So you, it's always easy to flip it round. Um, so th that's a you know it's a really uh, a really nice way of practicing uh, those things. And again, you can play the accents on a tom, you know. So I just re I just did that. I did exercise one the first line and I put a, I put a double stroke into the end of the second bar to so I could then play the the bars three and four with the left hand playing the accents and I was playing I was like moving to the side of the pad that's the middle of the pad there like uh, that's my virtual tom on the pad but if I was on the kit it's much easier to do it because you can hear it and the great thing about when you got the toms in the equation is you have you have, you can really consider then about what is an accent and whether you really need to even accent because the tom has this pitch thing connected to it but one thing I used to practice was playing the toms really loud and trying to play the snare really quiet which is a really hard exercise, especially when you get into number two and you've got the four quavers together. Um, anyway, you can explore all that stuff. Another really good one is one that John Riley talked to me about, which was the straight, playing them straight as semi-quaver things and using the sticking, the inverted paradiddle sticking. Um... And basically, whenever there's an accent with the right hand, you play the bass drum with it. And you're supposed to play this on the kit, so I'm not really going to be able to demonstrate it very well on this practice pad. Um, and I actually haven't practiced these for a long time, so I'm not even sure whether I can even play them. Um, but the sticking is supposed to be right, left, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, right, left. So um, what you're what you're trying to do is you have to stick to that sticking but then bring out um bring out the the accents within that and if they land on the right hand you play a bass drum if they land on the left hand you play um you play a, a backbeat um so it would sound uh, a little bit like something like this i'm just going to try and um see if i can find a way of making this remotely sound like it's supposed to um so it's one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and, a, and the sticking is right left left right left right right left so if you're playing like a samba funk thing you'd always hear that it's a very easy way of making something sound kind of kind of that sort of fusion samba funk thing is you just play an inverted paradiddle and you, you play a backbeat on the two and the four. And then you accent the first two right hands in the pattern. So the right, left, left, right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, right, left. Okay. And then you just play the bass drum with the two accents. I think that that kind of system of playing came from this way of practicing Ted Reed. So if you have to exercise one, I'll try this first line, trying to demonstrate what that sounds like.
temptation is I always want to put a backbeat on beat four in that. I've just played that uh, first line twice, by the way. Sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to repeat it again. But I always want to put a backbeat on beat four of that bar four. And as people that know Ted Reed exercise one well, there's no accent on beat four. It's a rest. Um, but I always feel like I want to, because I want to, you know, because I want to play that. I want to have a backbeat on the beat on beat four. And but if you go through that whole, um, if you go through all those exercises one to eight and play it that way, it's like a, it's like a real workout of um of dealing with what i call like the weight distribution of accents within um they're regular stickings but they're kind of non they're not hand-to-hand stickings so having that inverted paradiddle thing means you've always got to control that double in the middle at a quieter volume and that's why it's so nice and it's it, it, it all feels very similar to when you practice it in a kind of in a kind of jazz way you know um so that's another anyway it's just another way of practicing it um which might be interesting for you if you're kind of a straight player um and then it's just a there's just a couple of other things to discuss really not to go into too too many more things but um one of the things i i always found fascinating was this four quavers together shape so you get this And one thing I found that really helped me with this was practicing. The, in the inverted paradiddle again. Because if you play an inverted paradiddle, an accent the 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 hand that's starting the the paradiddle so right left left right left right right left right left left right left right left right it's also the same as tripletizing the 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 four quavers together in the in the ted reed and putting the in between double stroke in there that to that 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 you got this night dig it dig it this quiet double stroke in between and so the feeling of playing the the feeling of playing those two things it, it feels the same to me uh, and it was something that it was a real nice sort of joining the dots thing when I was kind of getting into the Ted Reed thing you know uh, because it's like, oh, yeah, 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 they're, they're kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not the same because the rhythmic values are different. But I think if you if you go back to in the last episode, I was uh, talking about this flam exercise. It sounds like flam taps. But the sticking is right, left, left, right, right. And it's actually the same as da did da di da di da did da di da da did da di da ding ding. If you really swing it, that da di do di da do da di da di da 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 da
ding dang dang You get into that the hand to hand uh quaver two semicovers thing. Um turns into if you swing it, turns into uh straight quavers with a flam on uh, on on one and two and three and four and on one two three four sorry not one and and two and one two three and four but the sticking is the displaced double stroke right left left right right left left so that's more complex than than it sounds on paper but when you break it down and understand another pattern that it's connected to then actually it can really help you get there a lot quicker and um so if you you know if you're practicing all these things and sort of trying to understand how they connect to each other, um, and there's so much more of this within you know rudimental snare drum study and, and all kinds of things, but it's just it's like a literary tip of the iceberg. But you know it may help you just to find a quicker way to certain things. Again, you know, um, but it's a fan it's a fantastic resource. I'm not sponsored by Ted Reed, by the way, in any way. Um, it's um, yeah. I like uh, if you if you get the book, he's plinth. The plinth, his snare drum stand, just this wonderful snare drum stand. It's like it looks like a looks like a sort of a Roman pillar or something. It's quite strange. Um, and he, you know his position, the, the the photograph from on the front with his hand above his head with the traditional grip is um, is a classic. But it's um, yeah, I never really played like that. Stuart Copeland does. If you watch Stuart Copeland, um, he's you know he likes to get the old left-handed traditional grip up above his head. Um, he gets a tremendous amount of sound, of course, because he utilizes. Not only the weight of the stick and the hand, but the forearm and the probably probably the bicep as well. I just can't be bothered. It's too much too much effort, really. So you know, I'm, I'm always looking to to do the opposite as much sound for as little effort as possible. Um, but the great thing about these books is you can explore all those different ways of of getting sound out of the um, out of the drums. So. And so there's a, and there's a ton of other ways to use Ted Reed as well, that the, the syncopation book. But one thing I would say about it, just to say, is you know the the rest of the book has some <laughs> some good exercises in it, has some nice uh, accent exercises later on, um, and it's got loads of triplet exercises written later on as well. But it's just that thing of when you're, uh, you know, when you're, because um, I think one of the big things at the beginning of the book and one of the things that's really this book is about, and I, and I, I really press this home when I, when I start teaching this kind of concept to students. And I've got something in my own little work pamphlet thing that I use, uh, um, that I use when I'm teaching, which is, it's, is a very similar thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's three pages of comping. They're all the same patterns, but one's written as, as a snare drum. One's a snare and bass drum thing. So you're, so you're playing in getting into a little bit of bass drum coordination. And the third one is the, the tripletized versions of those phrases. It's all the same concept, 
But the thing that's nice about reading them written this way is that you're practicing your jazz phrase reading for playing charts. Because most drum charts, you have to filter the quaver all the time. There's, a, there's just... There's just a um, if you're playing swing music, big band swing music, or any or bebop or whatever it is, jazz triplet music. A lot of the charts for drummers are written as straight quavers, so you've always got to have that filter thing going on. Oh yeah, yeah, that's straight quaver thing. Um, I've got to make that that's that triplet shape. And the great thing about the syncopation sets too is they're all there. Probably most things that you'll read, and no Ted Reed inten intention there, but you know, as in most things that will be read by you when you're playing charts, all those phrases are in are in those syncopation sets. And then when you get into the exercise one through to eight, um, I don't play nine because it's got semiquaver thing in it, and I'm not. I just, I just don't. Um, it, it doesn't connect with me like the um, the shaping thing doesn't connect with me. So I, I just use one to eight, and they're all, you know, forty bar strange. They're all kind of strange length. That's the only weird thing about them is they're not they're not kind of form normal form based lengths. Exercise one to eight. They're all forty bars, um, which is odd because you know normally it's thirty two bars, isn't it? We play a lot of stuff in twelve bar or 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 sixteen or thirty two bar things. Rarely do we play 40 bar stuff, you know. Um, an odd, I'm trying to think of an odd form tune that has that kind of irregular thing of 16 and 16 and 8. Well, uh, cheek to cheek, you know that tune. Heaven, I'm in heaven. There's a 16 bar, 16 bar, and then it has this dance with me. The middle section is an 8 bar. And then you get another 16 bar thing again. So that's one of the very few tunes that actually has that strange form. Um, deceptively long form. That, you know, the 72 bar form. Because it's, um, cause you've got the 64. You've got, well, you've got, sorry, 32, 8, and then another 16. So you get this kind of deceptively, um, deceptively long um form you know it's quite quite unusual in that respect um yeah 30 16 um uh, 32 40 uh, 56 sorry yeah can't do my math sorry 56 bar form 16 16 8 and um 16 yeah yeah because if, if it was um that regular another eight then we'd be into the 64 bar form, which is, you know, your common lots, two lots of 32, you know, whereas this is um, strange. And so, yeah, so that the Ted Reed thing, they're all 40 bar things anyway, sorry. So I'm just rambling off there on some sort of weird mathematical nonsense. Um, so that's the only strange thing about them. And when you play them through, when I, I always... Um, I often only practice the first four lines of any of them because it, there tends to be all the information that one needs in them um, it was something again john riley said to me oh there's no point in really bothering going beyond the first four lines and and i think and i think you know i do agree with that and and, and if you do exercise one and exercise two exercise two has the four quavers together 
and it has the six quavers together at one point as well. Well, in fact, in the first bar, bar, da, dee, 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 do, da, dee, 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 do, be, do, do, da, do, da, do, ba, ba, etc., etc. But it's got the da, da, dee, 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 da, da, or ba, which is, and that that thing uh, appears a, a couple of other times. You get uh, the six quavers together on beat three, four, and then one. Uh, one and one and you know one da da bo ba da di di da da ba do ba da da di di da bo ba 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 do di di da 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 do da and that's quite a tricky one sometimes as well you've got the one and two and three and four and one and you know so but it's the 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 they're beautiful because of this thing of when you practice anything in triplets you've got this great equality in there you know because because you have to do as much work with your left hand as you are with your right hand, and vice versa, obviously. So, um, so yeah, enjoy the um, enjoy the enjoy the read, the the read of the read, so to speak. Um, if you've never practiced it before, I recommend it. It's a good book. Um, and then, and it, yeah, obviously earlier on in the book, there's just lots and lots of you know, regular kind of snare drum exercises that are good for, you know, just learning to read basic shapes. If you're brand new to reading, then it's a, you know, it's a really good book. Uh, I learned from a classical snare drum book, so I'd kind of done a lot of that reading side of things before I even got into any of these kind of things. And then the, the Wilcox and stuff's all written as it's as it is, you know. So, like, you get the three... There's a thing called the three camps in the Wilcoxon thing, and that's got three... I think it's three versions of that, if I remember rightly. I've not I've not looked at it for a long time, but I think there's three versions of that that he writes in three different ways that are kind of three... would be how you probably interpret Ted Reed, you know. And I always remember when I learnt rolling rhythm... Um, And I was teaching it to a, a guy I taught at college called Eddie Hick, who's a great, great drummer, lives um, down in London now. And, um, really, really fantastic drummer. He came back and he said, oh, I've tripletized, tripletized rolling rhythm. Um, and, then, and then you double stroke it. Etc. Etc. So that's one I have in my book. You know, I'll it's just getting people to think about. You know, if you're practicing something in semiquavers um, and with accents, and then you double stroking things, you can always reinterpret those accents into a into a triplet based thing. So if you're playing if you're playing something in semiquavers and you've got accents, so you know that digga 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 that, which is quavers and semiquavers. If you turn it into triplets. Then it goes it goes a gear down, which is good, because then if you double stroke those single strokes, you're going a gear above the semiquaver. From that from yeah. So they're really nice ways of. If you're just playing like one accent on one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, 
you can do three versions of that downbeat accent going quaver semi quavers triplet quavers triplet and then 16th note triplets with doubles it's a nice thing it's beautiful so and that was and eddie got that because he'd done the ted Ree stuff and he interpreted it um in that way i tripletized the rolling and rhythm remember him saying it and i was like oh yeah, yeah great i'd never thought about that before i've been playing it for you know 20 years or something never thought about tripletizing it i was kind of very locked into what it was on the page you know and this is back to the tony Faulkner thing you know maybe that's what he was saying that's what eddie eddie had, he's, he's improvising brain you know his uh, ever explorative because he you know i mean obviously still is but when i you know when i, when I was lucky enough to sort of know him when he was at college when he was studying he was so ex such an explorer and he had a, he had a very very kind of he had a, a really kind of inquisitive and wide brain of understanding rhythmic concepts and about kind of how and you know how they could kind of connect to other things and they could be reinterpreted or always always looking for how they could be pushed to the next level or whatever you know and, and he was like that with with coordination things with odd time signatures with rudimental stuff very inquisitive with styles and kind of you know, understanding origins of rhythms and things and so it's maybe that's what tony fulton was really talking about you know, you're practicing, you're improvising because you're constantly using these things and reinventing ways you can interpret to practice them. So they're, they're increasing your kind of vocabulary understanding. Vocabulary, is that a word? Well, it is now, but you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, it feels like a nice place to stop. Um, I've raveled on now for well over an hour or so. Maybe not quite an hour actually, but... Um, yeah, so that's kind of it, really. Thanks for listening. Um, no other news, really, this month. There's sort of other things going on. Back on, um, got some some music to learn this week and some other new music to learn for the end of the month. Lots of stuff going on. Um, yeah, so kind of an exciting month for music. Um, got a nice dep on next Sunday to do, which is one reason why I wanted to make sure I got this podcast done today because I wasn't going to be around next Sunday. Um Still working on this recording project with um, a great songwriter and singer and, well, multi-instrumentalist musician Ben Walker. Still working on all that stuff. Keep trying to trudge through that, which is good. Just trying to get stuff mixed at the moment and finished. Um, loads of things going on, really. Practicing. But it's, it's funny. I've been reading this book, Notes and Tones, art by Arthur Taylor. Art Taylor, the great Art Taylor. Um you know, if you don't know Art Taylor, well, you should. If you're into jazz drums, uh, Countdown, John Coltrane. Uh, inverted Paradiddles, I think. I think the, the stickings of... Um, check it out. There's a ferocious solo at the start of that. And um, I think, yeah, there's a there's an, there's an inverted Paradiddle vibe going on inside that solo, just as a complete coincidence of what we're talking about today. Anyway, in that book... Uh, it's a great book, and there is interviews with um, with all African American jazz musicians, and, and a lot of the interviews are, I'd say, they seem to be between sixty nine and seventy two, seventy one ish, uh, and he's obviously, you know, he's got them when he's on tour, and, and when they're on tour with people, uh, I don't know a lot about the background of the book but I know, I know it was an archive he wanted to he wanted to interview these people so that he had this kind of archive of, of these amazing people you know and there's 
it's mega you know tony williams and uh, just from the drummer's perspective it's him interviewing all these people there's tony in there um kenny clark um there's um uh, miles at the beginning obviously um and then there's blakey uh, there's elvin um Lots of, yeah, anyway, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. But uh, the Kenny Clark one is a great thing in there where he talks about practising just things that you need for the things that you need to play. Um, and uh, that was one of the reasons why I'd sort of gone back to these single-stroke things because I was like, oh, I feel like I need to just have a little bit more control on the single-stroke side, you know. I need to, my nervous system feels a bit disconnected. Um, it's not about practicing anything that's complicated or, or sort of, you know, or really new or really kind of contemporary or whatever. It's just about having some kind of dexterity on the money, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it was kind of nice. I felt like it was nice to go back and practice something that would maybe would be maybe perceived by other people as being a bit simple, you know. But I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's underrated personally. So um, don't be afraid, people to practice simple things and have the confidence to do that and don't feel like you're wasting your time because you're not, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm desperately trying to get this Ted Reed uh, exercise one and two uh, as single strokes with the with the double at the end of each line. Uh, so that... And sometimes I'm repeating the line as well, by the way. Uh, that was the other thing I forgot to mention. So I'm playing the same line with the left hand. And then I'm doing the double, and I'm doing the next line with the right hand, and then putting the double at the end and playing the same line with the left hand. So it turns it into an 80-bar exercise, which is quite nice. And it's just like mileage, mileage out of material, you know. Um, if you've got any other interesting things to tell me, um, then drop me a line on Drummy Dave Instagram or drummyd at gmail.com if you want to email me. Um there's a few nice things online, you know. But my plan is, um, and this is not a plug, by the way, for this. But my plan is really, I want to make, I'm, I'm going to make a series of videos um, for when I've, whenever I get this website sorted out, which I never seem to be able to get around to, never seem to have the time. Um, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a whole series of videos about these the Ted Reed concept thing I'm talking about on here. Um, I'm going to make it into like a course, and uh, most of it will be will inevitably because of because of me and how I play. Well, most of it will be kind of concentrating on the more jazz side of things, but some of the some of the groove things and the straight things and the fill things that use it in a straight sense, I will also be including that in stuff. But it's something I hope to get done this winter it's something it's a plan to try and do this winter you know but it'll be a massive job it'll be a massive procrastination thing i'll be like i'll be procrastinating about what type of camera to use probably for like three months you know it's that sad and pathetic because that's you know that's what i'm like but it will get done at some point um i'll let you know when that's done um it'll probably be um something i i don't know probably sell probably because it'll be a lot of work and it's probably something i won't want to give away for now but um yeah anyway keep your eye on that hopefully it's something i will maybe get finished before the spring that's the kind of idea um anybody has any kind of advice about cameras that's the main thing yeah i i, I don't really like i've got a camera here a zoom um it's a q8 
uh, it's a very good camera I don't really like it it doesn't have that kind of look it doesn't quite have that polished look so I'm thinking about getting a DSLR or some, some sort of nice camera to film things I've got all the rest of the setup I've got a nice lapel mic and stuff now which the drums sound quite nice down and uh, sort of slowly been adding bits of things to the setup um, so the next thing is to yeah camera and then uh, and then storyboarding it all you've got to storyboard things because if you don't you just end up flailing around wasting time trying to film stuff and it's, it's also the storyboard thing also makes you remember what you're supposed to be doing you know because it's, it's so easy to miss things out and then you get all this stuff and you go oh and then you haven't got the continuation because you know because you've grown hair or something i don't know um anyway not that i'm going to grow hair as everybody knows but um Beautiful. I'm going to finish there and shut up. And um, thanks for listening and bye for now.